Now, the fact that the apostle calls this the walk of the Christian, it means that Christianity is much more than a lip profession. It's much more than head knowledge. It's not just you nodding your head in agreement with certain statements concerning the gospel. Rather, it's the difference from a sinner's life, loving his sin, relishing it, enjoying it, and the Christian's life, who is now entering into a vast, new, spiritual world. And here's the good part, enjoying it. You see, God intended His salvation to be enjoyed to the full. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and we rejoice in you joining with us here as we bring to you the Word of God from the Free Presbyterian Church pulpit here in Cloverdale. Romans chapter 6 is our subject today, and we're dealing with the rule of law in the Christian in the Christian's life. There are many who say that because we're under grace, we are no longer to be concerned about keeping the law of God. Well, we're certainly not to keep it be to be saved as a means of gaining salvation. But it is still the rule of life for the Christian, because in Romans 6 we discover that the law of God is good. It is spiritual. It is to teach us the way in which we might walk. And we cannot know the walk unless we have the Word, and the Word is given right here. Now, Romans 6 comes after the great subject of justification by faith alone. So it is not to uh, the unconverted and the ungodly that this is spoken. This is to the Christian, the born-again Christian, who is justified by faith. That's the subject of Romans chapters 4 and 5, justification by faith alone. That's how we get right with God. But then chapter 6 deals with our walk, how we walk aright with God. Here is the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, there's only one answer to that. And Paul gives it here in Romans 6, verse 2. God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, we're dead to sin in the sense that we've no interest in it. It's no longer the desire of the Christian. We are now living for righteousness with our face toward heaven, and our desires are to know and live in the presence and grace of God. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? That means we are united into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So you'll notice here that there is union with Christ in his death. There is union with Christ in his resurrection. What does this produce in the Christian? A new walk. It is the walk in the newness of life. Now every person who is truly converted truly saved, rightly related to the Lord, will know that newness of life. And while at once we hated the law of God, we can say today with the psalmist that we delight in it after the inward man. And it is our joy to know the will of God 
and to do it. Now, today in our program, we're coming to this whole subject, Romans chapter 6. Firstly, we have the Whitfield Choir to sing for us, uh, I Surrender All. And of course, this is a matter of surrender. And I trust that the Lord will do a work of grace in our hearts today as we minister his word. Thank you for joining us here at Let the Bible Speak. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence. draw your attention tonight to Romans 6 and the closing part of verse 4. Those few words, we also should walk in newness of life. I've been asking the Lord this week for a word for this meeting that would be in keeping with the resurrection theme. I wasn't sure for a while whether to return to the tomb or perhaps even to the book of Acts, to Pentecost, where the great effects of the preaching of the risen Christ was seen. All of these things were, were, were going through my mind. But I was led to this passage here, to Romans chapter 6, verse 4, because we have reference to the resurrection, we have reference to the death of Christ, we have reference to the new life that flows from the risen Lord Jesus. You see, every Christian has had a resurrection in his soul. We were like Lazarus spiritually. We were dead in sin. We were in our own grave of spiritual death and iniquity. And the Spirit of God by the new birth created within us life that was never there spiritual life, God-given life, the new birth. Paul the Apostle likens this, that uh, the same power that raised up the Lord Jesus from the dead is the power that works in the heart of the Christian. Let me read to you these words from Ephesians 1. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power, which to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, I think your Christian life will become much more exciting, much more bold, much more invigorating when you equate these two things. The same power that brought the Son of God out of the tomb from the power of death is the power that is now operating in your heart in your life, 
and in your soul. Now, how does Paul put it here in Romans 6, verse 4? Let's read these words very carefully. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father. Even so, mark those words. Here's the link. The link between what happened in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and what happens in each Christian. Even so, we should walk in newness of life. Now, the fact that the apostle calls this the walk of the Christian, it means that Christianity is much more than a lip profession. It's much more than head knowledge. It's not just you nodding your head in agreement with certain statements concerning the gospel. Rather, it's the difference from a sinner's life, loving his sin, relishing it, enjoying it, and the Christian's life, who is now entering into a vast new spiritual world. And here's the good part, enjoying it. You see, God intended his salvation to be enjoyed to the full. One of the last words of the Lord Jesus before he left this earth, before he was crucified, one of his last statements to his disciples, well, really it was a prayer to his father, which he ensured his disciples listened in on. The prayer was that my joy may be in them. Now, I don't think tonight that Christianity is a killjoy religion. Now, we would be very concerned tonight about anyone who thinks that he or she is a Christian or thinks that they're a child of God, but there is no new life. Rather, we would think of, of it as an egg under the chicken, but with no life in it. And I, as a boy, my uncle gave me, I think it was 13 duck eggs, and I found a chicken that would sit on those eggs for the length of time, 28 days required. And you always live in hope that there's life in them all. But any hatchery will tell you that not all eggs have life in them. And you have to wait and see the new life coming forth. Now, if you're telling me tonight that you're a Christian, I will accept that. But I still will want to see the new life. I want to see this walking in newness of life. Some people try to cover up and say, well, my religion's very private. It's between me and God, and it's nobody else's business. That's nonsense. Even politicians will talk about prayers. Politicians will even go to religious events to get votes. They'll come out publicly and become very religious all of a sudden because they want to get elected into office. When people are bereaved, they'll talk about, oh, our prayers are with you. And you're telling me that if you're a born-again Christian, that if you've had a resurrection in your soul, that you have entered into this newness of life, you're going to keep it a totally private, unseen event? Can't happen. It can't happen. 
if there's real life there. Did the Lord Jesus not say to let your light shine before men? Don't put it under a bushel. Put it where it will bring light to those that sit in darkness. So life in our souls will be visible. When life comes into a dead corpse, it won't stay in the tomb. When Lazarus was brought back to life, he didn't stay in the grave with the grave clothes. No, they opened the grave. And when he was brought to life, the Lord said, Loose him, let him go. And when the Lord saved your soul, he sets you free from the sin life to live a new life. And that's what I want to speak about here tonight as we turn to these verses. I want to do it very simply tonight. I've got a very simple outline. Newness of life is our duty. It's our desire. And it's our destiny. It's our duty. Newness of life is our duty because God's saving grace is never an excuse for sin. Now, that's how this chapter begins. It begins with one of those questions of horror. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? For some reason, people nearly always run to this foolish conclusion. They think that if we preach grace and you tell men that salvation is by a gift, you don't earn it, you don't do anything for it, you just sit down and accept it as the mercy of God. It's all of God, all of grace. You receive it freely. And that if you tell people that's the way that you become a Christian, that it's only going to open the floodgates for them to go and sin more. Paul was obviously concerned about that wrong conclusion. He heads it off, and he addresses it right here. Now, let me assure you tonight that when people are set free from the guilt of sin, it does not give them a license to sin more. It is your duty to turn away from sin. That's what repentance is, turn away from it. Now, one of the best ways of answering this idea that people have when you preach grace that people will make it a license to sin, is to look at the preface to the Ten Commandments. When the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, delivered them out of bondage, brought them across the Red Sea, and he gave to Moses and to the people the Ten Commandments. Before he gave them those ten laws, he prefaced it with this very statement, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the house of bondage. And let me tell you, that's grace. And Moses preached grace. When he was in Mount Sinai, he, you'll notice in particularly chapters 33, 34, you'll notice the, grace, the word grace frequently in those chapters. That the nation of Israel was dealt with by grace. God loved them freely, as he loved no other nation at that time. He set his love upon them. He chose them. They were his special people. But it did not liberate them to go and sin. He then gave them his law. And that law was the rule of life. 
Now, people say uh, the Ten Commandments don't apply today because we're under grace. And you'll notice down in verse uh, 15, what then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. Now, you'll notice Paul terms that and words that with horror. The whole idea of it is horrific to him. And yet people think that if you preach grace, if you preach full, free, sovereign mercy uh, to sinners who are depraved and wicked, if you preach in that manner to men, it'll only open up the floodgates of sin. But let me tell you that those who have accepted the gospel, received the Lord Jesus as their Savior on the terms of grace, the law is still the rule of life. It doesn't save us. It has no meritorious value. It doesn't make any brownie points to make us better people. But it is the rule of life for us. That's why we believe in keeping a Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, however you wish to term it, one day out of seven. It's still the rule of life for the Christian. listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and we're dealing today with Romans chapter 6 and the issue that the law of God is the rule of life for the Christian. We have dealt with the Christian Sabbath, that there is a day in seven for the Christian to keep. Of course, for us, it is the first day of the week. We base it upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, God is looking for that one day in seven that we worship, serve, and glory in him. And this is a part of determining the nature of the law of God as the rule of life for the Christian. Paul the Apostle said that the law is good, that it is spiritual. And our Lord Jesus said that he did not come to destroy the law or abolish it, but to fulfill the law of God. And while it is no longer our way of salvation, if we want to know what pleases our Heavenly Father, we must look at those ten laws. We must look at how he hates idolatry. He loves us to worship him in spirit and truth. He wants us to have the rule of law where we honor parents, keep one day in seven, that we do not kill, we do not commit adultery, we do not steal, we do not bear false witness, we do not covet. These are essential uh, issues to how to live the Christian life. 
And a Christian can do no better than to do a thorough study of the Ten Commandments and to see how the things that God requires and that God forbids. So please stay tuned with us here as we come to the second part of this message on the law, the rule of life for the Christian. Saved by grace, our sins are blotted out. We are sure of heaven and eternal life with absolute certainty. But I now want to know, how should I live as a Christian? Well, the law of God is certainly still our guide. Now, if this is not the case, what does newness of life mean? What does this resurrection life in the Christian soul mean? It can't mean to continue living as before in the lusts of the flesh. Uh, Paul talks frequently in this chapter about putting off the old man. And let me tell you, that addresses a whole lot of things, a whole lot of scandalous sins, a whole lot of wicked notions and practices. Put off those things. The Christian is a new person. He's to walk in the newness of life. Now, there is a tendency today to lower the standard of Christian living because men have lowered the radical nature of the new birth experience. You see, the lower you lower the bar that a person is a Christian, the less you expect of that person as a professing Christian. And in popular evangelism today, in various shades of religious evangelicalism, the, the, the bar is lowered down to the world so that a person can cop over and profess to be a Christian without very much repentance. Oh, sodomy. Oh, no, we don't have time for that. Immorality that is open and wicked. We have no time for that. But all the other worldly things, men are given the impression that they can be a Christian and still live the old life. The worst of rough sinners were converted in the church of Corinth. Paul didn't lower the bar, but he said to them, Such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And let me tell you, when you look at the list of Corinthian sinners in 1 Corinthians 6, there were many ugly, ugly sins. The Lord didn't come to save us in our sins, but from them. Newness of life is our duty. There is a rule of life for the Christian. The Christian who is saved by grace does have a higher standard. We have a higher calling. We're called unto holiness and to new life in Christ Jesus. A chaplain, sorry, a chaplain, after a seemingly futile conversation to win a young soldier for Christ, suddenly thought to ask, was no one in your family ever converted? Was no one in your family circle ever a witness to you? The young soldier replied, yes, my father. And did your father's conversion make a difference at home? The chaplain asked, Yes, replied the soldier, it made us all miserable. That pinpoints the difficulty we have with evangelism today. Christianity has been so reduced, the standard has been so lowered, the content so watered down, that the world thinks they meet Christians when they're just 
sinners, never were saved. They're still in love with their sin. And you have these Christians now, they can go to the pub and sit with the ungodly, they say. Or they can enter into the vices of this world and live just like the world. But newness of life in Christ is a very, very different thing. Now, coming to Romans 6, because really I haven't expounded very much of this chapter yet. I've really just been setting out what Paul's dealing with. But you'll notice in this chapter that newness of life is our duty because every Christian has been united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now, without going into a whole lot of doctrine here, this baptism into Christ's death, or what is this, baptized into Jesus Christ, this is a spirit baptism by the Holy Spirit where we are mystically, by the work of the Holy Spirit, united, made a member of the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, if we are a member of His body, and His Spirit is dwelling in us, and I'd like to point out the word planted together. This is really the key to the passage. It talks here about being planted together, verse 5. For if we have been planted together. And there is the truth of union, uh, just like roots planted together in the ground, or a graft joined to the tree. There is union. Now, if you're telling me that you're a Christian, you're saying that you've been united to the Lord Jesus. You're planted together with Him, that His life is your life. His holiness is your holiness. What a radical thing conversion is. So these verses are dealing with the believer's union in Christ, and we are members of his body. If so, there will be new fruit. There'll be new fruit. Newness of life. Planted with the Lord, there will be new fruit. If there's no new fruit, the only conclusion you can make about yourself is that you were never yet planted into union with the Lord Jesus. If you are not a spiritual person, if you have no interest in spiritual things, if you really despise the godly, holy, Christ-centered religion of New Testament Christianity, and it doesn't turn you on, the only conclusion that you can make about yourself is that you have never had a spiritual resurrection. You've never been born again. I'm not going to argue out of experience, but I am going to look at the fruit. And I want you to notice that I'm asking you to make that conclusion about yourself. The Bible says, examine yourself. See whether ye be in the faith. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music